Hello everyone, uh, welcome to my basement. As you can see, I've sort of flipped the room a little bit. This is the, the white wall section. Uh, my name's Tony, welcome. Now if you got kids and you wanna do something with them that's a little different, give them a little space. Uh, Miss Trish uh, produced a little video where she's leading, uh, reading through uh, a scripture story with the kids. Feel free to grab another screen and put them on that if you'd prefer, or there's little age appropriate uh, sermon notes that they can use. Now, a couple of things to say as we sort of lean in this morning. People are responding to COVID-19 in all kinds of different ways. I read uh, in one newspaper, literally side by side, on one side was a Brooklyn landlord who uh, basically forgave the rent of all of his working class tenants. And then literally right next to it was a story of a guy who was hoarding N95 masks, which makes me wonder, right? How are we responding in this season in the shadow of COVID-19? And what does it look like for us to remain rooted in Jesus and his ethic of love? What does it look like for us to remain rooted in the storm that is currently upon us? It reminds me of last year. Last year, uh, if you remember in the winter, there was all these storms. Do you remember those? And all these trees were falling over. I especially remember all these eucalyptus trees falling over. And the thing that's interesting about eucalyptus, they grow really big, right? Uh, but actually their root system is only 12 inches deep in the soil, which is fine for an Australian, hot Australian summer, but when it's windy and stormy in Monterey Bay, right, they fall over. Their roots are not deep enough. If you contrast that with a redwood, redwoods are fascinating. They grow so, so tall. You know, we've all seen them. But the thing that's so cool is their root system is really wide but they also are next to other redwoods almost always and their root system actually joins up with other redwoods under the ground. Or consider the oak tree. The oak tree, if you look at it, go on a walk this week and you look at an oak tree and you look at the crown of the tree, the, the root system is four to seven times as wide as the widest part of the crown of that oak tree. Now, why all this about roots and trees? Well, in this series, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to stay rooted in Jesus? What does it mean to stay rooted in God's kingdom? We're going to talk about roots, right? Because roots are what help us to go deeper, to stay connected to the ground in the storms of life. But roots are also, right, how we get nutrients out of the ground and trees grow, right? So how do we both grow and stay firmly grounded in Jesus, even during this season, in the shadow of COVID-19. So my question, right, I'm, I'm pretty confident uh, that, you know, I've talked to people over the last few weeks, some of whom have really, feel like they've really sort of doubled down on Jesus and they've grown, others of us have drifted away. And that's just true. In difficult times, right, we can either draw nearer to God or go further away. And my hope is, right, whether this is a super hard season for you or whether this is primarily a season defined by boredom, right, that this series will be a helpful thing you can put in your back pocket for the season that you really need it. Because when you look at the scriptures, what you see is that actually it pays a lot of attention 
the Bible as a whole spends a lot of time talking about uh, seasons of difficulty, adversity, suffering, and evil. And what do we do with that? Consider this, right? The book of Genesis starts with a story about the origin of evil. Exodus spends a lot of the book focused on 40 years that the Israelites spend wandering in the wilderness. The book of Job is almost primarily about suffering. Over half the Psalms are written by people in the middle of the storms of life. Right? And the Bible isn't alone here. If you go to other religions, right, Hinduism has a lot to say about suffering in the present life. And they talk about karma, right? that your past moral actions or immoral actions in the past life actually affect how your life is today. Right? So then all suffering, all injustice, all the storms of life are actually a consequence of your choices right? in your past life. Or consider Buddhism. Buddhism, teach them that Buddhism teaches that suffering is primarily the result of unfulfilled desires. Right? If you cut off your desire, you won't suffer. Now my point in going into this is simply to say that all cultures, all religions develop a way to deal with the storms of life. Right? How to stay rooted. But that doesn't mean that all of them are equal. In fact, if you were to take the Western secular script and sort of compare it to most ancient philosophies or religions, you would find the Western secular script pretty wanting in times of trial. Right? The secular script says right, that the meaning of life is founded upon one's individual's ability to have freedom to choose life that makes her, him or her most happy. Tim Keller, in Walking Through Pain and Suffering, writes, In this worldview... The only thing to do with suffering is to avoid it at all costs, or if it is unavoidable, manage and minimize the emotions of pain and discomfort as much as possible. Now we get that, right? Minimize it, totally, right? As a person raised in this culture, like I get that, you wanna minimize it as much as possible. But we also have to realize this totally differs from ancient perspectives and actually most perspectives outside of the Western worldview. Again, Tim Keller writes this, in older cultures and non-Western cultures today, suffering has been seen as an expected part of a coherent life story, a crucial way to live life well and to grow as a person and as a soul. Right? So kind of like in the secular Western script, it's almost like suffering is a pause in your actual life of freedom and happiness in these things. Right? But in an ancient perspective or outside of the Western script, it's actually a part of life. It's part of how we grow and mature. It's part of what it means to be a human and to live one's story. Dr. Paul Brand, in his book, The Gift of Pain, makes the case that Americans, raised on freedom and the pursuit of happiness, often actually lack the resilience to stay rooted through adversity and struggle and great storms when life is not happy, right? And it lacks the freedom that we desire. A former pastor of mine once told Jeannie and I during a really difficult season, he said, don't waste a tragedy. And when he first said it, I was like, what? What do you, what do you even mean by that? But it's become clear that God often uses seasons of great difficulty to grow us the most. Now for some of us, COVID-19 might not be a huge struggling season. For some of us, it might be incredibly hard. I want to say this, right? 
regardless of whether COVID-19 impacts you directly, like life still goes on. For us in our family, right, our first week in sort of the COVID-19 world, uh, Jeannie was involved, my wife was involved in a hit and run accident where someone hit her car, right, and her car was totaled and she was not feeling great. She's better now, so that's good. Right? But then a few weeks later, her mom ends up in the ICU in Texas. And because of COVID-19, right, she couldn't get on a plane and go and visit her. And again, right, she's doing okay. But just to say, life doesn't get on pause simply because we're sheltering in place. Right? We're going to have to go through this. The question is whether we draw near to God in the midst of it or we become farther from Him. Whether we stay more rooted in Him and therefore grow or whether we get knocked over by the winds of life. Now this morning, what I want to do is specifically offer an overarching biblical perspective on how do we navigate, how do we stay rooted during the storms of life. Now, I'm going to tease out a bunch of things, and over the next few weeks, I'll tease them out more. Now, if there's parts of this series or parts of this message that you really resonate with, let me know, because it might shape uh, what we do in the rest of the series. Or if you have stories that come to mind, please pass them along. Now, before we dive in, I just want to take a second just to pray, and then we'll dive in. God, I just, I thank you for this moment as we sit in our houses God, that you are here with us. And God, that you give us tools to navigate this season. God, that you want us to go deeper with you. And as we sit in a chair or a couch, God, I just imagine uh, you growing roots through our feet that we may be founded in the soil of your presence. And that through that season, this season, God, of adversity, we would get so rooted that we would actually grow even more. In your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so one of the things that makes the biblical narrative actually so profound is there isn't one simple, single answer that you can kind of dismiss on how to navigate uh, the, the storms of life. For instance, like, you know, the Hinduism has karma, right? This idea that all suffering, all the storms that you experience are actually in some ways, your fault, right? Because you and your past life behaved a certain way, right? So then all suffering, all evil is in some way just. Well, in the biblical narrative, that's just not the way that Jesus and God approach it. In fact, the biblical narrative actually, I think, is defined in broad strokes between the tension of God's sovereignty and the suffering God. Right, if I was going to put up um, sort of an example, like the two main tensions are between sort of the sovereignty of God and the suffering God. And then how do you sort of the sovereignty of God and the suffering of God speak into the storms of life? I want to focus first on the sovereignty of God. And what I mean by this is that God as creator, sustainer of all things, the one who redeems all things, he is in control. Now, there's lots of implications, right, as we face times of difficulty, as we face storms. I want to focus on two in particular. The first one is actually best captured through the story of Joseph. If you remember it, or you go back to Genesis, Joseph is the beloved son of his father. He creates all kinds of tensions, right, with his brothers, and his brothers get so mad at him. 
They throw them in a pit and sell them off to slavery. Pretty horrible thing. And then he gets into Egypt, right? He's in working in someone's house and he ends up getting thrown in jail, right? So now he's been sold into slavery and now he's thrown into jail. But God isn't done with him. God gives him the ability to interpret dreams and it leads him to this position where he's in charge of Egypt's food supply, right? And his brothers actually later on as he's older, right, come to him and they're needing food, right? Because the people in Israel and Palestine are starving and the people of Egypt have food because of Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. And they show up at his door, all right? And he reconciles with them. He doesn't get bitter. And this is what he says. This is unbelievable to me. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And what Joseph is saying is that even though his brothers acted evilly, right, even though they threw him into a pit, sold him in slavery, which led them, him into prison, they meant evil. God took that and turned it into good. Paul likely had something of this story in mind when he writes in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? This is part of God's sovereignty. Right? God's sovereignty is in the storms of life. God, right? There's all kinds of evil. What does God do? He turns it into good. This is part of the sovereignty of God. He takes the evil that happens. He takes the difficult storms and he brings good out of it. Now, I think this can play out in a couple different ways. In one way, it's sort of like our perception of evil. For instance, when I was, uh, so two different ways. One is sort of we perceive something to be evil, but it's really not. And then God brings good out of what our perceived evil is. So the story would be in my 20s, I really wanted to go to seminary on the East Coast. I was super excited about it. I was in the Boston area. I was flying back. I was all prepared, you know, and, uh, and God on the plane told me, no, 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 you need to go to Fuller in California. And I threw a tantrum in my tiny economy seat on the plane. I was mad. I wanted to be on the East Coast. I wanted to experience seasons. And God's like, no, no, no. You know, you're going to stay in California, go to Fuller. And the truth is, right, like it actually turned out awesome. The best things in my life today are a result of that choice, right? My wife, my family, some amazing mentors and relationships all came out of staying in California, right? And there's other seasons when there really is a storm. There really is struggle. There really is a sense of evil, sort of wrong things are hard. For me, it was in my 20s around this similar time when my mom got really sick and we were going from doctor to doctor and she was suffering. And it was a horrible, horrible season. And I was super mad at God. And the truth is in that season, I couldn't see anything good coming out of it. It just felt bad. It felt wrong. I didn't like it. And yet when I look back on that season now, I can see that God actually did bring good out of it, particularly in me. And I kind of went into that 
season with fairly self-righteous, fairly certain, and felt like I could control things. And out of it, God shaped a humility in me that didn't exist before. Right? God brought some good even out of an evil, a tough, a storm-filled season. Right? God, in his sovereignty in the storms of life, can bring out good. Right? And remaining rooted in him is about pre- presuming right, that God loves us and he is doing good in the world even when we can't see it. Because the temptation is in the storms of life is to presume sometimes that God has abandoned us or that God is absent or that God isn't acting. But one of the ways we stay rooted is to remember and to hold on to and stay rooted in the truth that God loves us and he is bringing good even out of the evil that we see, the suffering, the storms of life. Now, another way to stay rooted in God is to stay rooted in the conviction that in his sovereignty, God will transform us through the process of adversity. Jonathan Haidt, in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, says there's three great untruths in America's society today. One of those untruths is that uh, suffering makes us weaker. And his point is, that's actually not true. The storms, he says, actually make us stronger. And the scriptures often agree. One of the scriptures, uh, the images that scripture uses to communicate this idea is the idea of the forge or the furnace. Peter, writing to a community of people living in a difficult time, writes this. This is 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? What Peter is saying is that through the storms of life, like we are refined as metal is refined in a forge. Right? So what happens is right, you're, you have raw ore and then what happens? You heat it up to the boiling point. Impurities in that metal rise to the surface. They're sort of taken off and the metal is cooled down. Right? And then it becomes increasingly pure. This happens over and over and over again right, until the metal is pure. Right? And the same thing happens in our faith. Right? When we go through the storms of life, some impurities rise to the surface in us. Anxiety and stress and worry and all these different things, anger, whatever, they rise to the surface. And what does God do? He takes them off. Right? We cool back down and we go through this process becoming increasingly pure and refined. Romans 5, 3-4 emphasizes this as well. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And what Paul's saying is difficult times, the storms, those seasons of life, they do something in us. James agrees. James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What does James say? What happens? During these trials, these storms, these difficult seasons, God produces something in us. 
right? It makes us perfect or complete. Now, if you do a quick uh, search in the New Testament on this idea of perfection and how we get there, right? Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount this, Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Have you ever wondered reading the Sermon on the Mount, how do I get there? How do I become perfect? Well, this is the exact same word that James uses. And James explains the process, right? It involves strong winds, difficult times, and learning to remain rooted during those seasons. Now, I know for me, right, our family took this huge risk to move down to Monterey, to Pacific Grove, to do this church plant at Wellspring. Right? That was three years ago. We left something that was comfortable and predictable and known to come down here, and we had no idea what was going to happen. Right? We've seen God do this crazy, awesome work, and it's so fun to be a part of. Right? And then a few weeks ago, everything gets thrown upside down. And now I'm trying to figure out how to do video church, online church. Right? And I experience stress and anxiety. Impurities are rising to the surface. Right? And what is God doing? He's taking those impurities. And now as I'm cooling back down, as I'm adjusting, right, he's making me increasingly pure. He's refining me through this season. He's inviting me into this next season right, to trust him even if it looks different. And I guess I wonder for you, how is God refining you? What impurities are coming to the surface? Because those might be guides on how God actually wants to work in you during this season. Right? Because God, in His sovereignty, brings good out of evil. He also refines us in this season, in His sovereignty. And I guess I'm asking you, like, how is he trying to refine you? What is he doing in you? Right? Because we stay rooted in Jesus in the storms by paying attention to what God is doing in us when we can't control all the things going on around us. We stay rooted by looking within and saying, all right, God, how are you working within me? But as you can tell, right, this is only half the story. This is how God works in his sovereignty. And the truth is, right, in my 20s, as my mom was suffering, if you had come to me quoting me Romans 8 and Romans 5, I would have had a really hard time listening. What I needed was a picture of the suffering God. Right, one of the most unique things about the biblical narrative, right, is that God is both sovereign and suffering. Tim Keller writes, Yes, he is Lord of history, but he is also the vulnerable one who entered that history and became subject to its darkest forces. Right? He's both sovereign and suffering. And certainly this is underlined in the New Testament, but there's echoes of it in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures as well. Consider this. Before the flood, God looks out over all of humanity and all he sees is humanity doing evil continuously, right? Every thought of the human mind is towards evil, right? Genesis 6, 5, every intention of the thoughts of his humanity's or human being's heart was only evil continually. And what's God's reaction? Genesis 6, 6, this grieved him, God, to his heart. Now, grieved is kind of a tame word for us. Uh, atzav in Hebrew is used to express the most intense 
form of human emotion, a mixture of rage and bitter anguish. It's what Dinah's brothers felt after she was raped in Genesis 24. It's how Jonathan felt when his father Saul planned to kill his best friend in 1 Samuel. This is the word used to describe David's reaction when he hears of his son Absalom's death. This is how God feels when he sees evil and wrong, when he sees humans, right, being just run over by the storms of life. David Kidner, on his commentary on Genesis, reading it in light of the New Testament, writes this, Already God suffers on man's account. You don't just need to go to the New Testament and the cross to see God suffering. You see it in the Old Testament, right? God cares, but it becomes most poignant in the new, right? Eugene Peterson in his translation of the message says this, John 1.14, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, right? God didn't sort of kick back in heaven and relax, right? He moved into the, the mess of our world. He, he took up residence among us. And he didn't take up residence in a palace. He was born in a manger, right? As an infant, he had to flee with his parents as a refugee from Herod. He came knowing the difficulty of life. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.17 that he was like us in every respect. He knew the storms of life, right? He knew the vulnerability of life. Jesus knows difficult seasons. And he knows what it takes to remain rooted Again, the author of Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, right? He gets it. He lived it. He's been in the trenches. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin, right? So Jesus has been tempted. He's been through the storms. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to lose a sense of rootedness, and yet he doesn't, right? He's without sin. He remains rooted. And therefore, Hebrews 4.15, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Right? The author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus experienced the storms of life. He experienced suffering and adversity. And yet he remained rooted. Therefore, we can draw near to him right, to find mercy and grace, right? He who would not sort of shame or turn away from the cross, but was suffered and died on our behalf, why would he turn away from us when we are struggling? He wouldn't. Hebrews says we can receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. See, the truth is often when we're struggling, we can't see sort of God and his sovereignty bringing good. We just, we don't have the ability to see that silver lining. Sometimes we can't see the work God is doing in us. We just can't see, but we can receive mercy and find grace because Jesus has suffered and he is a sympathetic listener to our cries. Right? Scripture tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out to God from Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? Jesus modeled just honest conversation with the Father. And if you go back into the Psalms, you see this is throughout. Psalm 44, 24 implies that God has fallen asleep on the job. God, wake up, the psalmist cries. Psalm 88, right, the last line is this. 
My companions have become darkness. Right? The psalmist hasn't found hope at the end of the prayer. He's still in the dark. N.T. Wright says that Psalm 88, in all of its darkness, offers us a way of holding on to God in the darkness, even when, precisely when, the problem is that God seems to have gone back on His Word, to have abandoned His promises and His people, particularly to have forgotten. And Psalm 88 captures us when we're trapped in the storm and we have nowhere to go, but we can call out to God because He is a suffering God who knows what it is like to be tempted, who knows what it's like to be in the storm, and He wants to hear our cry. It's not surprising that over half of the prayers of the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann calls Psalms of Disorientation, where psalmist has gone from a life that is predictable, a life that is comfortable, a life that is sort of known, to a life that is chaotic, disorientation, right? When the, the rug is pulled out from the person who is praying. Half of the Psalms in the Bible are full of these Psalms of Disorientation. And in our moment of disorientation under the shadow of COVID-19, right, the scriptures tell us we can cry out to the sovereign and suffering God and he wants to hear our cry. Right, the Hebrew God was the only Near Eastern God that allowed his people to talk to him like this, to say these raw things to him. Every other God was like, oh, no, say the right prayer. And he's like, no, no, you can say anything to me. The problem is often we think when we're going through a time of struggle, right? we're under the rain, we feel like God is over here, right? He's in the church building, right, with the people singing the songs, and we think, well, I don't know, God's over there. God's with the people that are smiling and happy, and they're singing songs and hitting each other on the back. He's like, and often we feel alone here. But what the scriptures tell us is actually this is not a true picture of God. Actually, God is with us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the storms, and we don't feel like we can just gather and happy and put on our smiley face. God is with us here as much as here. In times of rejoicing, in times of worship, in times when we're singing songs of praise, as much as when we are under the storm worshiping God through prayers that often feel very bumpy and raw and full of questions, that God is with us in both of those places, right? This is the suffering God that we serve. Right? God does all kinds of things. As the sovereign, he brings good out of evil. He refines us in the midst of the storm. But as the suffering God, he dies on a cross for us, that we can be in relationship with him. Right, so that when the storms of life come, we can know, he can, we can say anything to him. He gets us. He wants us to call out to him to find mercy and grace in our time of need. As I was um, writing this sermon and praying, I just had this picture. The picture was this. It was of uh, someone in a kitchen, and they were just walking around, and all of a sudden the glass they were carrying just dropped out of their hand and shattered on the ground. I think some of us feel like this is our life right now. It's shattered and on pieces on the ground. And In the picture, uh, the person got down on their knees and was slowly picking up the glass. And then I saw Jesus coming in. He didn't say anything, actually. 
he just kneeled down and he started picking up the glass just in this posture of kindness and love and service. And I think some of you feel this. You feel like your life is shattered on the ground and you feel alone as you're picking it up. I think the picture is saying, no, 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 actually, the God we worship is with you on the ground, on his knees, with you in the midst of it. Now, as we shift towards the close and a moment of reflection, I just want to offer four questions that maybe you can sort of think about, wrestle with as you lean into what does it look like to remain rooted in this season? Question, first question is this, what does it look like for you to trust that God is working behind the scenes, right? That he is bringing good out of the storm in his sovereignty. Right? Can you see how God is working behind the scenes? And if you can't now, maybe think of a past season when you know, man, God w- did. He was faithful. Even though I couldn't see it, God was faithful. He brought good out of a, a bad season. Can you remember that? I invite you, hold on to that. Hold on to that as a sign that God loves you. Right? Remain rooted there because that's going to help you stay rooted into Jesus' faithfulness in this present time. Two, Do you have a sense of how God is transforming you in this season? Like I have this sense that God is inviting me into a deeper place of trust, a deeper place of letting go. Do you see impurities rising in you? Maybe in your marriage, in your household, in your work, just internally, do you you sense some impurities rising to the surface? Maybe that's a clue onto how God wants to work in you in this season, how he wants to refine you. Three, do you you have a sense of how God is with you in this season? God wants to suffer with you. He wants to be with you no matter what. Whether it's just in your boredom or in your real struggles, God wants to be with you. Can you look back over this last week and see maybe one or two spots where you sensed God's presence? Maybe it was a moment of relaxation when the kids were playing happily in their rooms or I don't know, maybe it was a time in the scriptures. Can you think of one moment or two where you can just hold on to it and say, yes, Jesus, you were with me this week, right? That's one of the ways we remain rooted is we remember, oh yeah, God was with me. And we take away the narrative of, oh, God's never with me in these times. And we remember and are grateful for. Maybe we turn back and say, God, thank you for that moment. Lastly, I think it might be helpful You know, what would be helpful for you to say to God in this season if you were just totally honest? Right? if you knew he was with you in the storm, what would you say? There was a night this week where uh, on the other side of my basement, I just set up two chairs, and sometimes I'll do this. I'll sit in one, and I'll just imagine Jesus sitting in the other. And I'll just tell him what I'm thinking. No editing, just, ah, these are two things that are really real for me right now. I just invite you. Set up a second stool, a second chair, find a quiet space, and just tell Jesus what are one or two things that maybe you've withheld from him that would be helpful to communicate. What's real or honest for you in this moment? For right now, we're going to move towards 60 seconds of silence 
uh, as you can reflect and listen to what is God's voice to you? What is his invitation to you? Maybe you want to pay attention to what are those four questions really rings true for you or resonates. I invite you as we go into this moment of prayer, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have a little 60 seconds of quiet just to put both your feet on the floor as a symbol of your desire to remain rooted in Jesus. And I invite you to open up your palms as a saying, as you are rooted, you are open to whatever God might bring into your hands in this season. And with that posture, just pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to come and be with us. In your mercy, help us to sense your presence, to hear your voice. In the storm that we are currently in, God, I ask that you would speak to us, you would guide us, you would transform us, you would bring good out of evil, and more than anything we would know, that as Jesus, the suffering God, you are with us no matter what. You are good and you are holy. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen.